Good afternoon, everybody. Penny Houston, New South Wales DPI today. We are chatting to Nathan Ensby and we're, um, we're going up the north coast to Grafton. So Nathan's a technical officer in the northern cropping systems up there. And we haven't spoken to anybody from Grafton as yet. So firstly, good afternoon, Nathan. And secondly, can you give us a really quick rundown on all the great things that happen at Grafton, please? Hi, Penny. Uh, yeah, so I'm Technical Officer in Northern Cropping Systems in Grafton. We do research soybeans, so mainly in the Australian Breeding Program, and also we're running a um, soybean expansion program on soybeans where we're looking to uh, increase the profile and increase the uh, tonnages of soybeans that grow in the high rainfall zone in uh, northern New South Wales and on the tablelands. Uh, other things that happen at the um, ag station at Grafton include we're a node for the NVT disease screening trials that are run in wheat, barley and oats and lentils. Yeah, we also do some work for um, Steve Simfendorfer in that um, disease space. And uh, yeah, so we, we have both summer and uh, winter cropping trials in on the station. There's also some uh, weeds biosecurity work that gets done on the ag station. We have a big fisheries department where they're looking after uh, protected species, especially through the through the drought. It was came into focus that area. Yeah, so there's plenty that goes on out here at Grafton, as well as the Southern Multibreed Program, which uh, includes uh, the, the cattle genetics improvement program. So plenty going on over here. Yeah, it certainly like, it seems like you've got lots of bases covered. And I know that, um, yeah, Trangy is another base for that beef breeding project, which looks really interesting. Just really quickly, how did you fare with all the floods? Yeah, look, the Clarence Valley was hit very hard, as you know. Cropping-wise, 100% of the soybean crops were uh, inundated and subsequently lost. A lot of pastures were um, destroyed yeah, which which isn't good. But yeah, we had a little, more, little bit more time to prepare for the flooding than what the um, farmers did over in the Richmond, which we're grateful for. But yeah, look, where growers have lost their soybean crops from last season and keen to um, kickstart this year with a bit more of a positive outlook. Rightio, well, you've alluded to soybeans, so we'll get on to that topic because that's really what we're talking about today is um, spring planning of soybeans and the research you've been doing in that space. But can we just go back back a step? So soybean, I really haven't had much to do with them based here in the Central West. I don't think in my 550 years of agronomy I actually even looked after a soybean crop because it's really not uh, soybean country was, you know, cotton if we had the water. Yes, I am saying I'm about a 1,000 years old. But what would your normal planting dates be for soybeans on the north coast and on the, on the northern tablelands? Yeah, well, normal planting dates range from November through to January. That's historically when we've done our research in the uh, variety uh, program here. Yeah, depending, we've got varieties that are adapted to an early plant date on the north coast and then others like the newly released Hayman variety, which is adapted to a later planting date. So, you know, at a stretch, you could be planting your Hayman in, in February. Um, but yeah, look, it's normally best practice to be planting soybeans in December. Yeah, radio. So how long do soys take to mature? Like what's their um, growing length? So typically in a December planting date, Soybeans can range from 100 to 140 days to maturity, and that's very variety specific. But yeah, those those ranges are typical for the soybeans grown on the uh, on the north coast of New South Wales. Yeah, so they're they're a fairly quick crop compared to some of the winter crops or some other summer crops, say like cotton. So 
Nathan, why would growers want to plant their soybeans early? Like, what are the benefits to them? Yeah, okay. So, I, t- I suppose I'll start from the beginning of the process. Myself and um, some of the local growers had the opportunity to travel through the Midwest of America a few years ago. And they have got, especially in the northern parts, a very small window to plant a crop, either normally soybeans or corn. So they're planting basically straight after snowmelt. So it sort of gave the participants on the tour a bit of an idea to, to sort of say, well, why can't we plant a bit earlier in some cooler conditions? So the following season, I set up a uh, trial at the ag station, looking at multiple varieties over four planting dates, with the first planting date being September. So why we pick September? It's really the first month where soil temperatures are averaging above 13 degrees, which is what is required for the soybean plant. So we thought, okay, we'll uh, we'll try September as our early planting date. And uh, yeah, I suppose that was the beginning of the uh, the trial work that we've done. The first season we had replicated trials, the varieties Burrinjuk, Guida, which has been the newly released variety on the North Coast, Moonby, Richmond, and another experimental variety over over four planting dates. So if we move into some of the results of that trial, we actually found that by planting soybeans at that early September planting date compared to a traditional December planting date, we're looking at a harvest or days till harvest of around 22 days longer. So by moving that planting date from December Back to September, we're actually increasing the uh, number of days that plant is going through its vegetative and reproduction phase by 22 days. So that was one of the things we noticed in that first trial at Grafton. When we look at the results down the track, um, we were very surprised that the guida yielded over five tonne to the hectare. So it was at wow. 5.79 yeah. tonnes to the hectare which was a really exciting result for us. And that also gave us a harvest date in early February, which, you know, has implications for, you know, farming systems on the North Coast. So, yeah, look, we're really excited about those early results. And there was basically a trend for yield to sort of lower a little bit and just sort of stabilise around that between four and a half to four tonne of the hectare at each of the the following three planting dates for the variety guida. And a good result for the uh, for the plant breeders was that the newly released variety guida outperformed all other varieties at all other planting dates, except for Richmond, which had a higher yield at the October planting date. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty exciting stuff, isn't it? So what, tell me some of the benefits of planting early. Obviously, you've mentioned that the yield's better, so that's good. And so what are some of the other be- other benefits and how would it also benefit your farming system? Like, is there a chance of getting a double crop in there or, or what are your thoughts? Okay, so an obvious one that we saw last year in now, basically we moved from research into the development phase where we put a couple of crops out on some farmland on the north coast and those crops were planted, the crop up on the Tweed River at Mark North's property was planted in the first week of September and it was harvested in early February and it was it was harvested before the flooding event in uh, in late February so you know there's an obvious advantage of planting early you you reduce your the flood risk so we normally get our flooding here February 
March, April. So if we can get that soybean crop off a little bit earlier, yeah, there's obvious cash flow benefits there. In the sugarcane farming system, which predominantly on the coast, we have looked at trying to plant two crops of soybeans back to back. So in a normal farming system where you're planting soybeans every season, I wouldn't recommend that due to build-up of disease and pests by planting back-to-back soybeans. But in the sugarcane farming system, we've got a, a grass basically grown on that ground for up to eight years with a fallow crop of soybeans in the middle there over a 12-month period. So I'm reasonably confident that cane farmers in the cane system can uh, successfully plant two crops of soybeans Yeah, potentially. So we actually had the second crop planted at Mark's place on the Tweed. It was up to its third trifoliate stage when the flood hit in late February. So yeah, we lost that crop and and couldn't take any any yield data or, you know, agronomic measurements on the second second crop of soybeans. Nathan, not particularly familiar with sugarcane. When when do they plant that? So what's our timing there? So sugarcane's normally planted in spring as well. And Depending on variety and location, you can cut that sugarcane plant at either one-year-old or two-year-old. So typical one-year-old crops can be as high as 120 tonnes to the hectare and two-year-old crops can get above 200 tonnes to the hectare. So a big biomass crop. Soybeans has been introduced into that system just due to its rotational benefits and then supplying the, uh, the following crop with nitrogen and breaking the disease cycle. Yeah, so sugarcane... Just say you're growing two-year-old sugarcane, it may get cut and regrow up to four times, which would make it an eight-year an eight-year crop. So after that fourth cut, after eight years, um, that's when your soybean would get planted and yep. does get planted on the coastline. Yeah, radio. We were talking about the benefits of growing the, soy- the soybeans earlier and we mentioned that there was an impact on yield and that, you know, you can get the crop in earlier and off quicker. What about grain quality? Has it been affected? Have you found anything in your research there on sowing it early affecting grain quality? Yeah, it's a good question, Penny. We have had some issues with uh, with grain quality. We haven't really seen any issues with uh, protein. Soybean is a high-protein grain, and we have bred our varieties on the North Coast to have a higher than 40% protein content. So we haven't seen any issues with our growers being able to still gain above 40% protein at those early planting dates. We have, however, seen some deterioration of the seed when it is left in the paddock prior to harvest. So a soybean grain does deteriorate like any other grain if it's left in the paddock for too long. And factors that affect the deterioration of the soybean grain is uh, heat and rainfall and moisture. So obviously, if we're harvesting in February... We have high rainfall and we also got some uh, higher temperatures than what we would expect in the more conventional harvesting period in in April, May. So we have seen that the seed does break down a little bit quicker. But yeah, as I said, the the two years that we've had to these trials going, it has been wetter than normal. So it'll be interesting to see how this seed does hold up in a uh, more average year, I suppose. (laughs) Having said that, we do have a market... Having said that, we do have a market in New South Wales for second grade quality grain and the growers that have harvested the grain that has been weather damaged have not quite reached that A1 grade but are still picking up some pretty good prices for the downgraded grain. Well, that's that's good that there's a market for that, that downgraded grain. 
and I'm not sure what a typical season is anymore as I look out my window at Warren and it's pouring yet again. And when I was on the horse yesterday morning riding across some paddocks, they still had water lying on them. So not great news, but, you know, compared to what it was three years ago with the dust storms, um, I think I'd prefer to see it raining. But you were, yeah, sorry, no. What were you going to say? So there, are, there are some other issues or negatives as such that growers are, are advised to you know, take notice of. Obviously, planting with cooler soil temperatures, there is a slower emergence of the of the seed. So, you know, the, the longer it takes for a seed to come out of the soil, the more prone it is to um, you know having having a disease or a um, or a crusting event with heavy rain. So, normally, we're looking at a ten or eight to ten day emergence for that seed, which is you know probably three to four days longer than than typical. September is the driest month of the year and spring is the driest season of the year. So we haven't had an issue with moisture stress over the last few years, trialling this new time of sowing, but getting back to a typical season, we may have issues with uh, available moisture for the crop, which may lead to a very small plant height and and difficulty in in harvesting. And also a late frost in, in the frosting areas, if we do get a late frost into September, you know, that may be an issue as well, killing the plant at a small, small stage. So, you know, there's some of the issues that, that growers still need to be aware of. Nathan, you mentioned that the crop grows for longer. Does this mean that in ideal conditions that the crop might grow taller as well and there might be some issues with lodging or has that not proven to be the case in the last couple of years of your trials? Yeah, that's a really good question, Penny. We initially thought that we may have to reduce our planting rates down a fair way, down to around the 20 plants per square metre. We thought that early plant would, would put on too much uh, vegetative matter and lodge. It hasn't been the case. We've seen plant growth rates significantly reduced. So the plants that are grown earlier in those cooler environments aren't putting on the biomass that a crop, say, planted in November wood. So we haven't had any issues with lodging at this stage. So we are actually planting, and we actually just planted the first time of sowing yesterday on the station here at Grafton, a trial with guida at four different plant dates. So again, a September, October, November and December plant date, but we're also overlaying four different planting rates. So looking at rates from the low end of around that 100 and 80,000 seeds per hectare, right up to over uh, 500,000 seeds per hectare. So just trying to fine-tune the agronomics on planting rate by planting date, which is a tough one to to pinpoint at the moment. But I, I believe in a year where moisture stress won't be limited, that we can up our planting rates to up to, you know, 35,000 to 380,000 plants per hectare at this early September planting date where moisture is not limited. So that's my gut feel at the moment. But, yeah, we'll get some science around that this year to, to um, help us give some more accurate advice to, to farmers. Yeah, so what would be the average kind of sowing rate from a normal sowing date in that part of the world? With our newer varieties, we're looking at around that uh, 320 to 350,000 seeds per hectare or established plants per hectare would be reasonably typical. A high biomass crop like Hayman, if it's planted too early in December, yeah, we we do um, recommend that uh, reduce your populations down a fair way that um, to reduce the chances of lodging, yeah. So, But normally 
normally around those those rates. Just going back a step or two, if you're sowing these these um, soybeans early, have you got more chance of insect attack? Are they are, are the insects that are common in the crop? more prevalent in the cooler conditions or do they wait for the really hot conditions in summer? Because I know that they're not the normal insects that would be attacking our cotton and, um, yeah, out this way. Yeah, well, it's been a bit sporadic, I suppose, the insect incidents. In the first year, we we didn't have too many, uh, too much of an incidence of insect damage. But in the second season last year, we had we had a pretty big um, incursion of, of insects. So I think it's dependent on the season and the background levels of uh, insects in the environment. Definitely it is one to look out for. If, if your crop's in the paddock and has green leaves on it and pods on it for a longer amount of time, then there is a risk there that that, um, that, that plant is more susceptible to an insect or a disease or, or anything else that might um, might come along. Apparently the ducks the ducks aren't ready for soybeans in September. Our farmer <laughs> up in the Tweed, Mark North, said he didn't have any issues with ducks last season nipping off the young heads of, of soybean coming through the soil. So that was one big benefit for him. He didn't have to go and um, go and <laughs> shoot the, the ducks. ducks away. Oh, sorry, I didn't say that. Control the ducks. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, so what what insects are the issues in soy? So we have Helicoverpa, we have lupers. That attack the leaf in the vegetative stage, and then we have the um, pod sucking bugs like the uh, large brown bean bug and the red banded shield bugs and the green veggie bugs that come in during pod fill. And uh, basically, during that pod fill stage is the stage when when agronomists and farmers really need to be on the ball with their um, with their checking and making sure, you know, up to two times a week that they're not getting any incursions of insects. Yep, Nathan, I didn't ask you this earlier, but do, does soybeans struggle with high temperatures at flowering? Does um, Is there a temperature above which it starts aborting flowers or, you know, isn't happy when it's that hot? Yeah, so temperatures above 32, 33 degrees aren't good for flowers and the flowering process. And, yeah, in those extreme times of heat and also if soil moisture is uh, limiting, the, uh, the plant will abort flowers, that's for sure. Okay, good to know. Nathan, let's have a bit of a chat about varieties. You mentioned before that guida was the best in your trials so far for early sowing. How does it stack up with other agronomic traits? Like has it got a good disease package, good standability? I think it's a nearly released variety. Uh, can you give us a bit of a background on that, thanks? Yeah, so agronomically, guida has ticked all the boxes. It has a great disease package. It's our only variety that has rust resistance. So rust is a big issue on the coast, especially when you have those cooler wet finishes. Yeah, basically can can uh, turn the plant off a lot earlier and uh, rob seed size from the plant. So guida has disease resistance or has rust resistance, sorry, and that's that's a massive step change in um, in variety adaptation to the coast. It has high yield potential, as we mentioned before. It's it has yielded over five ton to the hectare, which is you know not that common on the coast. It's got good lodging. It's got a great lodging score, so it's a nice compact plant. Yeah, so it ticks the boxes there. Yields good, quality is good with protein. Protein is always up above that forty percent. It hasn't be- hasn't gone below that at all in any of our trials or any any um, experiences we've had out in the paddock. Yeah, leaf diseases. It's it's uh, doesn't seem to pick up powdery or downy mildew. Yeah, so it's a compact plant, and I think. 
there's about 80 tonne of it available to growers this year and uh, I think it's all going to go out in the paddock and, um, yeah, fingers crossed we get a good season and, and our growers can uh, hit back this season with a bumper crop. Yeah, so is this its first year of full commercial release? That's right. That's right. We had limited release last year to try and, um, you know, road test it out in the paddock to see how it was going to go at some different planting dates. But, yeah, our uh, seed suppliers have, have built seed stocks up in the last 12 months and, uh, yeah, we have have a release this year. It's probably a limited release. We've got 80 tonne and I think it'll all go in pretty quickly. And we're just hoping it'll get a good um, reach across all our growing districts. And um, I'm expecting next year that there'll be unlimited supplies of, uh, of guida. So, yeah, hopefully it'll pick up. Growers will see some advantages in yield and the whole, uh, the whole industry will move forward with it. Yeah, well, it sounds like an absolute cracker of a variety with the package it's got behind it. You just mentioned other areas. How do you think it would suit other areas, like whether that be the Northern Tablelands or down on the Victorian border in the irrigation areas down there? And I think there's a few soy around Forbes and parks in this part of the world as well. But do you think it's got a, a good fit across um, multiple zones or, or what do you think? Yeah, look, we have had... We had some um, guida planted on some focus paddocks up on the tablelands and slopes last season, and it um, it performed very well up there as well. It yielded over three tonnes of the hectare in a in a trial at, at Oakwood. So yeah, it's got good adaption to that region as well up on the tablelands and slopes. As far as southern New South Wales goes, I I haven't seen any data come out of those areas, and um, you know soybeans are adapted to different regions. And climates, um, day length. So, yeah, look, it's um, it's something that have to be trialled in that region before you can be confident in, in taking it there and growing it successfully. Yeah, so just refer to MVT results if there is any for Guida further south or talk to some of your farming system groups or, or people like that that might be in a bit, of the, a bit of the know for what's happening with those varieties down there. But talking about your research in other areas, do you think your early sowing would be adaptable to other regions because uh, uh, it's basically based on minimum soil temperature, correct me if I'm wrong. So do you think it would be translatable? I know Loretta Seraphin's been doing a fair bit of work in early sown sorghum and that seems to be quite transferable across the region. So do you think this early sowing option might catch on, you know, further west and south? Yeah, definitely. I think you've just got to make sure that the risk of frosting um, has passed, the soil temperatures are at those levels that we discussed earlier, 13 degrees and rising on average, and that there is soil moisture either through irrigation or um, or through rainfall. So they're you know they're the big things that you need to consider. And I don't see why, with the right uh, variety package, that other areas couldn't adopt an early planting. I know up in the uh, up in the Queensland region, you know their soil temperatures are above typically above that 13 degrees um, all year round and um, up on the Burdekin where they have an endless supply to irrigation water. Um, I know that there are crops growing in both summer and, and winter up there. So, yeah, look, I think, you know, if nothing else, if growers are organised and ready to plant their soybeans a bit earlier, I think it'll, um, it'll give them a bit more flexibility on a planting time and, um, yeah, allow them to hopefully have higher yielding crops. Yeah. It sounds like you're doing some really great stuff into the expansion of soybeans. How many more years have you got trial work going on or is it a year-by-year, project-by-project kind of thing? 
Yeah, so it's a um, three-year project co-funded with GRDC and New South Wales DPI. So we've had one one season so far, so we've got two more years to go. Last year, we focused on looking at you know, the results of GWIDA and an early planning date in our three regions. So we've split up our regions on the north coast here to the coastal strip typified by the sugarcane farming systems. The hinterland region where most of the double cropping occurs with winter cereals and soybeans and then the tablelands and slope which is a bit bit of a drier climate I suppose. So we really worked on looking at the benefits of guida and some basic soybeans agronomy, soybean agronomy last year. This year we're going to be looking at um, you know some of the nutritional requirements around the soybean plant and making sure we get the right nutrition in the ground up front and also on the back of some of the uh, work that Mark Congreve and John Cameron have done with ICANN on the north coast look at some uh, best bet weed control options in soybean crops in those three regions as well so you know as a lot of legume crops broadleaf weeds are an issue and expensive to control so we're yeah, just looking at some best bet options to try and get on top of those weeds as early as we can without um, without costing our farmers uh, a mozza. Yeah, yeah, that's true. A bit of a plug here, New South Wales DPI put out a summer cropping options guide recently that covers about five summer crops, one of which includes soybeans. It's available on our website and um, I know you team at Grafton certainly had a fair bit of input to that in the soybean section and mung bean section. So thanks for that. And it's a pretty handy reference. It's not really detailed, but it just gives you some really good basics and, and some of the, you know, the numbers around germination, soil temperature, that kind of thing. But Nathan, really good having a chat today and really excited to see what results come out of the next couple of years. And hopefully you won't get another flood this year to take out a lot of your trials. But um, have you got any final closing comments to make before we sign off? No, thanks for your time, Penny. And um, no, there's, a, there's a lot of excitement in the soybean industry with this new variety and, and a new planting date. So let's hope the uh, weather gods are with our producers this year and they can cash in. Yeah, well, Nathan, we'll catch up again after the season or, or even partway through and have a chat about how the trials are going and the season's progressing. But thanks very much for your time today and um, yeah, look forward to chatting next time. Well, bye for now. Thanks, Penny.